News. 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 New York City. FAQ. Welcome to FAQ NYC, a podcast in search of a tagline. I'm Harry Siegel, joined as always by Professor Christina Greer and executive producer Alex Brooklyn. We are talking with native New Yorker and Bronx science alum Dodi Stewart about the city's elite public schools, the SHSAT, the one test that by law determines admissions to three of them, including Bronx Science and Stuyvesant, where I dropped out from, and how these schools have become less representative of the city. Uh, When Dodai attended Bronx Science, she wrote recently in the Times, it was 23% black and Hispanic. That number has plummeted since, even as the share of black and Hispanic students in the public school system has gone up. So let's jump right in. So you grew up here. You shot Andy Warhol. Yes. We come back to that. And you went to Bronx Science. That's correct. And then you ended up out of great wag, like looking back at Bronx Science from, the, you know, the New York Times, right? And, and whoa, what happened to you? Yeah, it was very surreal to find out that only seven kids had gotten into Stuyvesant this year. I think the number for Bronx Science was like 25. And, and what was it when you were there and what years well, were you there? Well, I don't know what it was, but it was enough that you didn't have to count them. Mm-hmm. So, and it wasn't and it wasn't a <laughs> news story. Mm-hmm. So for I felt like <clears throat> yeah, I just hadn't realized that it was such a de- severe decline and I haven't been paying that much attention to this issue. So for me it was just incredibly shocking. What were the actual numbers? For this year, or I can. I have these. I have these right in front of me, actually. So at Stuyvesant, there were 895 slots for freshmen, and uh, I am I'm a proud Stuyvesant dropout um, myself. <laughs> 1999-ish, Adam. That sound right? Yes. No. Shit. <laughs> Let's ignore that. At some point, I left Stuyvesant, but 895 freshman slots, seven offered to black students, uh, down from 10. A year earlier and 13 the year before that. At Bronx Science, it was 12. Down, Yeah, 12. That um, is crazy. Down from it, – it's nuts. Uh, down from 25. And the test to get in is this same test it's been by law at these schools, although not by law to five others Bloomberg added, the SHSATs. But you've had this like pretty incredible shift where, where, where you can count now. Yeah. And I think one of the parallels is the increase in – test prep, which I did not take test prep and no one I knew took test prep. Maybe some kids at Bronx Science took test prep, but it wasn't like a thing that everyone did. Every Saturday since seventh grade. Right. Which now that's the culture. And I think what happens is if you have 100 slots and 150 kids have a perfect score, then what happens? And what ha- and what happens to the kid that has like 99 right but missed one question? Right. I mean, do you also think that for black and Latino students, it's because of the rise of, say, like ABC and Prep for Prep and Oliver Scholars, where some of those kids are being routed out of the public school system to these private schools and boarding schools at a sort of middle school to high school age? Well, I mean, the truth is that when we looked at the data, the number of 
black kids going to prep for prep was really actually not that many. I think it was like under 200. Okay. So that doesn't really explain the severe drop off. Well, I mean, I always tell my students who are, you know, nervous about the LSAT and, you know, mainly the LSAT when they're graduating. um, And I'm just like, you just have to take the test every day. Like, just play with it. You know, it's sort of like if you watch Jeopardy every day for a month, all of a sudden you can answer 75% of the questions. Same with, like, taking the LSAT constantly. By the time you sit there, you, A, know how to sit down for three hours, and B, you know, answers just sort of make sense for no reason. You know, it's just like, the answer is Emily Bronte. I don't know why, but it is, right? And so I think with these test prep centers, part of it is, like, the muscle memory, and part of it is just kind of unlocking this code. So if parents are deciding that right. this is what but the they want. factors are so sweeping in terms of, mm-hmm. like, you have to have parents who know about test prep mm-hmm. and know about the test mm-hmm. and teachers who are also reinforcing that and a middle school that has at least educated you to the point that you could do the test prep for the test. Mm-hmm. So it, you And know. also I'm assuming that these test prep centers aren't free. No, 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 no. <laughs> They're not. There are some free test prep centers, but it's not as widespread as mm-hmm. the for pay. Well, I mean, why are people even – I never went to public school, so this is foreign to me and I've been learning a lot, right? But I don't understand why you would even want a student who's only good at a test. Like what about all these other, I would argue, really important characteristics that would make up a robust class and a robust cohort? Like I don't want everyone to have a 4.0 just because. Like I want people to have other – interests and strengths and weaknesses like wouldn't that be a more interesting I think yeah class? I think you could argue I I'm like, totally agnostic when it comes to test or no test I don't know what the answer is uh-huh. but I think something's definitely broken somewhere to have these kind of results where the school system is 70% black and hispanic and then the highest the you know elite schools have a population that doesn't reflect the actual mm-hmm. school system at all. Right. So there are two different reforms getting discussed in Albany, like as we're recording this on Wednesday. There is a uh, a bill that's starting to make it out of committee to get rid of the law that mandates Brooklyn Tech and Bronx Science and Stuyvesant use this test. One of the other five schools, Bloomberg added by the way, I didn't realize that Staten Island Tech. Oh, yeah. One out of 304 students admitted last year was black. Just (laughs) – yeah. Um, And then – I mean, Staten Island is its own thing. Listen, (sighs) give me the Wu-Tang and keep the rest. (laughs) (laughs) And then a second competing bill that was just introduced to save the exam. Um, I don't think either of these is going to end up going anywhere that says we need to have free test prep for every sixth and seventh grader. And let's create an additional 10 schools that only use this exam, which is sort of arguing that, that if you look just at these three, you're looking at the tip and ignoring the iceberg of the, the, the rest of the system. In the meantime, I think we've been having variations of this fight for going on 50 years now. And these numbers seem to have just gotten worse and worse and without, without a lot of notice until, until recently. And I think The Times and um, Liza Shapiro and, and, and your desk has sort of brought this out along with Carranza. Uh, it's become very politically charged. Is anything actually changing or is this just louder and uh, the same thing at this point? And 
Is that a pizza rat shirt? Yeah, yes. I wore that for you guys. <laughs> I wanted to say yeah, document this. <laughs> um, it's pizza rat, and Pigeon. like these are some of the train lines. It's the L. Where did you get this shirt? <laughs> um, it was a gift, but the designer is named Dash of Pep. She's a um, she's a local New York woman who Dash designs. Yeah, who designs okay. a, like cool clothes that have like mental health <laughs> meanings behind them. <laughs> I, I don't know what the pizza rat pizza represents. Rat. It's but, very um, New York. It's important for the rat's mental health. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's important for my. It's I'm fantastic. Like, I love a, I love a pizza rat. Harry, what was the question you asked before? <laughs> pizza, before pizza rat? There, there, there was no before pizza rat. There was a different. <laughs> There's nothing. You know what, Laguardia? Let's talk about Laguardia, right? Laguardia is the, this elite, specialized, awesome school. Yes. Um, Alex Lynn, proud Laguardia dropout. Proud Laguardia dropout on the pipeline uh, from Laguardia to Cityas. But they, they, you know, they're looking at artistic talent, and they don't have a test for it, and they have not been part of this. What the hell has happened to these? school stories, and they do seem to represent, to a larger extent, some of the talent in the cities. Does that point maybe to some different model here? Or Well, their test is like art-based, but also perfor- like also what you right. can, you like a, to, there's a verbal part from yeah. what I remember. Yeah. And a, you have to, or submit a portfolio or mm-hmm. a, do an audition or something like that. But they are having some, there are some discussions about their academics right now. I don't know, you know, I honestly, I don't know what the answer is, and as she was talking about, like, a more holistic view of a student. It sounds great. Is it possible with the nation's largest school system? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the solutions are. I just – I only know that (laughs) it's not working properly currently. But it's so fascinating to look at the – you know, as part of our research, we looked at the 1975 Stuyvesant yearbook, and it was just completely incredible to see that the – Black Students League. It was called like Uniku or something. I don't know. So it's had initials that stood for something. But Bronx Science had the, the much better student league name, right? Oh yeah, the Black Organization for Student Strength or Boss. Boss. <laughs> That's right, Boss. Really good. Um, yeah, just looking at the Stuyvesant 1975 one, it was just like amazing to see a large group of students. They have Afros and they called it the most active ethnic group at the school. And I think there were 47 students pictured. So this club might have actually been larger than that. Mm -hmm. It's hard to tell because of the way the yearbook works. But to go from 47 in the club to only seven admitted is just wild, Mm -hmm. you know. And they had, in addition to the black student organization, the like cheerleading team was black and the boosters were black. And it was just it wasn't a place where it was a severe minority to be black or brown. Which is just very weird in New York City. Yeah, it's yeah, it's I feel I feel that my education was partially the academics and partially the social, which was mm-hmm. being in that environment that was a incredibly mixed with people of all different ethnicities. That was part of my education to graduate high school and have met someone who was Greek, someone who was Albanian, to be sitting next to people who were who knew Korean, who knew Mandarin, who knew Cantonese. And I feel like the strength of my education, obviously it was partially the academics, but it was also just breaking down all those barriers and being you know, like, oh, this is New York. This is actually the world. Mm-hmm. And, 
yeah, I feel I just feel really strongly about the fact that I had like a good time there. <laughs> and um, well, isn't that what high school's all about? I mean, right? it should be. <laughs> I mean, you're learning, but I mean, this is why you know whenever people say like, oh, let's get rid of the liberal arts education in college, is it necessary? It's like college is absolutely necessary. High schools like this are absolutely necessary because you're interacting with people who are not the same. They're not exactly from your family and your community. And so you're breaking out of this homogenous, whether it's ideologically, racially, right. ethnically, uh, gender, sexuality, whatever it That's may right. be. Now, what do you think has happened, though? Because it's not like all of a sudden all the black and Latinx students just like got abducted and are lo- no longer smart from, you know, the, the right. 90s until today. Is it like a breakdown in like elementary and middle schools? Are they being like farmed out and tracked and I mean, segregated. I just, yeah, in I mean, the school that... system itself is a lot more segregated than mm-hmm. it than it used to be. Like I said, I think the test prep industry has made it to a point where there are people who are prepared for these schools. It's not that they're smarter than the other students; they are prepared. Mm-hmm. And then there's everybody else. Mm-hmm. Like I said, like the difference between getting a 100 on a test and a 99 on a test, unfortunately, becomes huge in this situation when you have talking about i think 28,000 people took the test last year so is it good for the uh, city at large to take the most prepared kids and separate them out from everyone else i i've really struggled with that because i felt like uh stuyvesant did have particularly great teachers and had okay facilities once it moved but uh that wasn't that wasn't the point. It was just all these people who were poised to do well, who were then together, who then did well. So there were some like networking opportunities for sixteen year olds who were thinking about that stuff, or you know, or just straight track to Harvard. But like I felt like those kids were going to go to very good colleges anyways, were going to be fine in life, and it just removed them from everyone else in their neighborhoods and in the uh, in the yeah. city. I guess, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I can definitely see the argument for that, but. Also, I mean, you don't want especially bright students to be languishing in subpar schools, which I think is one of the situations we have today, which is there were like – I don't know that this was always the case, but there are now quote-unquote good public schools and quote-unquote bad public schools. And I think that's part of the issue. Right, right? And, and fear of the bad public schools, yes. people flock to these – other schools and there might actually be very similar in terms of the teachers, That's the right. facilities and everything else. But you feel like you're protected from that broader environment in some sense. And then I want to hear more about your Bronx science. But I just have one other sort of broad global question. Is, is this a zero-sum game? In a letter defending Carranza from a bunch of politicians that went out yesterday after a bunch of other politicians said maybe you should think about resigning. People stress this is not a zero-sum game. Mm. But right now we're talking about so many total admission seats, um, 8,000 maybe? Something something around there. Yeah. Um, and 24,000 students taking the test. Right. And 20, then yeah. mm-hmm. Asians, very broadly speaking, and that gets confusing because you're talking about Chinese families and Pakistani right. families and, and, and all sorts of different groups. Mm-hmm. Uh, who have been overrepresented saying, wait, if you switch this, you're taking our kids out of the good schools. What are the politics of this and what do people argue is how this should work so that we're not stuck in this trap? I mean, you just, you definitely have two sides, you know, and there's the side that says keep the test, improve the middle schools, expand free test prep, and it will all sort itself out in that way. <laughs> yep. And then you have the people saying – Standardized testing has always been problematic. Scrap the test and 
look at the top performers in every middle school around the city. And um, that's how like Texas does college admissions now for the for their good schools, right? It's like if mm-hmm. you're at the top of your class at any school, there's a space for you. Right, right. Because that's also recognizing that there are inequities at various schools. And right. so this sort and, of and, still and rewards, talented students rewards talented right. students who may be from a quote-unquote bad school. But, Which is ridiculous that we're very comfortable calling schools good schools and bad schools. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I just thought one of the one of the reasons <laughs> was <laughs> one of the reasons was to like maybe find some raw talent that possibly were not doing good in their uh, school of origin for you know any number of reasons because they didn't you know flow right with that kind of academic life or they felt stifled and that one of the reasons for these tests or at least LaGuardia was to see if there were any students that might not have been performing terribly well, might not have been noticed or overlooked, but they could take this test and they could go on a, some kind of track to a yeah, better school. Yeah, and I but- think that was the original concept. But I definitely think that as the demographics have shifted and the test stays the same, but the population has shifted and just as I said, that people now look at the test as a golden ticket to success. There are entire industries built around preparing for the test and people – have their kids preparing for years. Other kids may be just as bright who haven't even heard about it until like a middle school teacher pulls them aside and says, maybe you should take this. And of course, they're not going to be as prepared. Are they as smart? How can you know? If you're in this program, you're in a district with no gifted program, right? no GNT, because they say there aren't enough kids who want to take the test and no one is ever bringing any of this up to you. So you don't have that habit taking tests. Which I be- I firmly believe in 100%. the habit of taking the test. If you take – if every Saturday for two years you go to a testing center for damn near eight hours with other kids your age and just sit there and do the test, of course when it's time to take the test, you're going to do better than the person who literally rolls into the test for the very first time. And it's the first time they're seeing it, sitting for it, figuring out – you know, reading comprehension versus matching versus whatever yeah. is on the test. I mean, that to me is just common sense. Like, obviously, if yeah. you have a two-year head start, we're not going to get the same score. That's right. So speaking of eight hours of test prep, let's go back now. We're off the record here. Listeners, you're off the record too. <laughs> just between us It's just the room. us friends. Oh, my gosh. Yes. So, so What's your you, you said fun was a very important part of the developmental experience. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> yeah, parties. <laughs> parties. That's, I think the parties were the I, look, I <clears throat> I li- I like to party. Did you have like a Fendi bag and a bad attitude? No, no. It was just the kind of thing of being like listening to really good music and hanging out with your friends and being like, this is my favorite song. This is my song, you know? And all the clubs, you know, the Boss Black and Organization for Student Strength had a party. Unidad, which was the Latinx club, had a party. The West Indian Club had a party. Everybody threw parties. And then there were also the school parties, a Halloween party, a Valentine's Day party, whatever, end of the school year party. And something, (laughs) something about being like in this safe environment the cafeteria mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay wait and think, yeah and just back. like dancing and listening to all your yeah. favorite songs it was I great mean, that's that sounds ideal we should all go hang out at yeah. Bronx Science and you and get home at like 
a comfortable 7 p.m. Yeah. <laughs> like, you Wait, know what I mean? Okay, so it's did like you an ever after school party? Did you ever dress up? Mm. Oh my god, all the time. Okay, yeah. so for Halloween, do uh, you remember? Yes, I was Dorothy and my friend was the scarecrow and then my other oh. friend was the tin man and my other friend was the lion. Oh, so we do. Yeah, it was group like a, yes. yes. No sexy kittens? <laughs> no. no. I mean, I think I actually was a Playboy bunny. <laughs> like in oh, my. I think that was sixth grade, though. <laughs> Bad. I know. But it was, I, you know, I'd like to believe that I was actually Gloria Steinem as a Playboy bunny, but I wasn't. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> was you, were doing, a- you were doing research as a Playboy bunny. I just thought it would be cool. Okay. I mean, I think, you know, this is this is why diverse environments are so important. I mean— this is why high school and college, for me, are, are an important space because you interact with people who just— Yeah, I mean, I have cousins who never, like, used chopsticks until they were adults or, mm-hmm. or saw sushi mm-hmm. or ate a dumpling. You know what I mean? And I feel like the— <laughs> the beef patties and the <laughs> the cocoa bread you're like yeah. no and he- all those things that were part of the part of having those clubs at school and being in that environment it, that was part of the education so much focus is on the racial and ethnic lack of diversity in these schools have you done any research about the lack of class diversity as well, well? Uh, and is there a lack of class diversity or is it certain enclaves where it doesn't matter if they're wealthier or not wealthy, they're still sending their kids to test prep? Yeah. I mean, I don't have all the answers, but it was – it was there was socioeconomic diversity when I was there. Mm-hmm. There were kids who commuted two hours from a project in Coney Island to go to Bronx Science. and. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's like the Warriors every day. Right. Same for LaGuardia. There were kids that commuted two hours to get there, and then there were also kids from really well-off families on the Upper East Side. Right, The free lunch percentages are very high, and and this is one of the things the alumni associations um, and and some of the Asian groups have pointed to, that this is not actually all the District 2 people. Right. There's just a a jaw-dropping to me time story about the tiny group that gets special compensation for extra time to take the test, even though they're not strongly learning disabled. And who to thunk it? They're all in District Two and District Three, which are like very white affluent mm-hmm. districts, and and they have the extra two hours because you know the rich do get richer. But, um, but socioeconomically, the, the schools have have remained. Uh, yeah, because even though they're now overwhelmingly Asian, a lot of it is um, the test prep center. No, no, it's there. There, there are Asians living in poverty who have who have golden ticket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's but not, I mean, is it Asians living in poverty who are still using the test centers? Or yes, okay, yes, and they're also coming from an environment where they know about the test. And it's like a goal from Mm -hmm. the time that they're going to public school. But I think, yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure. I felt like I was in a situation that was socioeconomically diverse. I can't say whether or not it's the same now. But I think that was also part of the Mm -hmm. education. How how, You were living in the Bronx when you were attending Bronx Science. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Where in the Bronx were you? Um, Cedric Avenue and Fordham Road. Do you know it? I do. Oh. I know Fordham Road. <laughs> yeah. I, I, li- I, li- I grew up in Manhattan, then I was in the Bronx for a few years, and then I came back to Manhattan. Those are my... That's as far as you travel. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> it was my You're like uh, tethered for, to New York. For residences. For residences. <laughs> for our listeners, we asked Dodi before the podcast started the, the longest amount of time she's ever left New York City. And it's barely been two weeks. I think, yeah, I think that's true. I don't know. I went to Hong Kong and Thailand. I feel like that was a two-week trip. I was in um, Tokyo and Seoul. And I feel like when I went to Peru, I was like, I travel a lot, but it's, I don't, I haven't lived anywhere uh-huh. else. The magnet always pulls you back. I mean, yeah. Show me something good. And I'll, and I'll. <laughs> <laughs> Show me something really good. There's been this real shift in who's in the specialized schools, and this happened over decades. And it's like very belatedly, in part, I think, because of the Times coverage and in part because of uh, Carranza and de Blasio. I mean, quietly talking about this for many years. Mm-hmm, and, definitely. You know, like like sort of finding his voice or at least allowing his 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 new chancellor to have one. It's unclear how much change this is going to lead to, particularly because these guys, de Blasio, Carranza, they're going to be gone in two years. And it's a really big system to steer at all, you know? Like uh, by, by the time we're done talking about it, Kids who are in first grade are going to be in fifth grade. It takes a long time. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. And also, I mean, the fact that the decisions are made in Albany by groups of people who it's it's a little bit, yeah. Free New York City, 51st state. Is there, for like, real. A, is there like an Erdstadt situation but for schools? So we have mayoral control. Um, Rudy Giuliani got us mayoral control by just being a tremendous, unpleasant guy for a really long time. <laughs> he was good at it. And, and, then, and then they wouldn't give it to him because it's like Rudy's like, this is insane that Albany runs this. He's right about that, right? And Albany's like, screw you, Rudy. So then Mike Bloomberg comes in and like, here you go, Mike. You can have the schools. Right. And then he ends up there for 12 years and there's a lot of very exceptional circumstances like he's literally like giving jobs to former lawmakers who have done things he's asked for afterward. You know, he's very rich. Um, but <laughs> Albany still controls the schools. And the way Albany gives that. us stuff with, with the rent laws, with everything else, at least up until now, is like, you know, oh, oh, here you go, Alex. You can have control of your own destiny and we'll decide in a year or two years whether or not to renew that. <laughs> right. We'll decide how long to renew it for right. based on how, 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 how good you've been. That's nice because the city is just a, a creature of the uh, state. Albany is our bureaucratic god. And de Blasio had this tremendous dream, like, since he got to the mayorality and, like, almost went to prison for it, of, like, we're going to change that. And now it has changed, and he's off running for president and barely there. But it is crazy that, like, the uh, New York State controls the New York City schools, the train system, and and nearly everything else. And, like, you know, Cuomo is, like, sending funny cops here, like, state troopers with stupid hats, respectfully. (laughs) Um, right. No, and setting them up across the street from the mayor's office. Like, yeah, and now there's suddenly for the first time there's lawmakers who want to actually pass new laws and like control the rules. So we're getting this with the rent regulations, right, which again, the state controlled and there was a special rule only for New York. There are all these special New York rules because it's like only for cities of a million or more like wink, nudge, you know. But finally, we're all just a, a creature of the state. The, the, the state does what it wants and it's this law that it had passed. Decades ago, in the early 70s, uh, to protect the city from itself. And, you know, this is at the very – this is like the opening years really of, of, of like the civil rights era, of tremendous school fights here. It's like, well, you know, we're just going to have this test and there's absolutely no way to game that. And the fight we're having, like, wait, but if we have some fair standard or some way of reflecting what the broader city is, people are going to game that and screw it up. The city can't be trusted to work this out for itself. It's crazy. If you go back to the old clips, like this is – 
yeah. verbatim the same argument and the same conversation the entire time. And it's the rest of the state until now deciding for us, like, what the rules are going to be. Yeah, well, I feel and the, sorry, just saying that the, we looked up some archival photos and the signs that the kids were holding that were like, integrate my school are the exact same signs. And this was 1964. And they're literally outside of City Hall holding those same like signs with the same wording 50 years later. But I feel like, Harry, you laid out this very institutional structural argument that has to do with local state, you know, federal control. But I think that like we're we're not getting to the meat of the the problem, which is at the end of the day, I think a lot of white people just don't want their kids to go to school with black and Latinx kids. And that starts at elementary and middle schools. I'm thinking about the parents on the Upper West Side who don't want their kindergarten kids going to school with the kids who are across the street in the projects. And when we have that racist type of insidious thought process about having kids of color equating that to being a quote-unquote bad school or pulling your school down, then that sets us on this track of segregation that we then have to pay the piper in ninth grade with these specialized high schools. Yeah, the problem it is it's way, like right? super mm-hmm. nuanced, though, because yeah. the school is quote-unquote of color because it's overwhelmingly Asian. Right. The white population has still stayed fairly flat, high. I said black and Latinx. No, I know. (laughs) But so they're they're thinking of this as like, yeah, my kid's going to an integrated Uh school. There's plenty of Asian kids there. Right. But I feel like the stereotype, because these are stereotypes, right, is that certain types of students are going to elevate a school and certain types of students would pull a school down. The real conversation for me needs to back up and go to elementary school and the segregation that we're seeing there that just becomes more calcified throughout elementary and middle. And then when we see these high schools, there's certain high schools in New York that are like 99% black and black next. It's like, really? How's that? Like, that doesn't even doesn't even make sense to me it's also in a city that's this diverse. The teachers get sent, which is interesting that there's actually within the – and this is, again, you go back to the 70s and you look at the clips and there's a consent decree with the Justice Department that was later rescinded by Reagan – about this, but it's like in the overwhelmingly black schools in the 1970s, all the black teachers were there. And also a bunch of those teachers end up getting laid off during the the fiscal crisis here because it's uh, last in, first out. And all the newly hired teachers were sort of the, the start of diversifying the, the teacher group while, while the kids had been a different mix. But what's interesting is if you have all these students, you went to private school and I mean looking at Philly and thinking about some of this, right, and how this plays out in different cities. Part of the reason the schools here are segregated is because you have parents who will stay in the system so long as their kids are in the good schools. Mm -hmm. And if you change the composition of those good schools or you take those options away and those parents leave, interestingly, you end up with a more reflective system but a different us, Right, right. losing uh, losing taxpayers and a sense of broader buy-in. It's almost always a question of what – when you're talking about the greater good, how great the good is and what group you're talking about and how you make sure that people keep participating, paying taxes and feeling invested in something that's, uh, that's, that's public. Um, well, this is why I thought, you know, when we interviewed Anthony Weiner in 2013 for 
were on the Amsterdam News Endorsement Board, and he came in when he was running for mayor, and he was a huge proponent of keeping the test because his argument was it keeps certain types of families in the city. Can we can we do a trip to Bronx Science, report on a party now? We'll be like the anthropologist. <laughs> An after-school party? Oh, my gosh. What's our good like, costume? I don't know. I feel like I'd be so depressed to be the, like, old lady in the back of the room while <laughs> well, hey, you dancing the one to Lil Nas lady. X. I know. Oh, my God. It would be super fun, though. I'd be the cool guy doing moves <laughs> from the future. Stupid hats. We would like to thank you, Dodai, for coming in and educating us on the SHSAT. <laughs> Thank you and for having your, me. your years at Bronx Science. The wonderful years. Wonderful years. Style question. Can you call it Chassette? I don't think so. Damn. Chassette. <laughs> Thank Chisette. you so much for coming in. <laughs> Thank you for inviting me. And where does Dodai come from? Is it a family name or is it <clears> – what's the origin of Dodai? It's Aramaic, mm-hmm. which is the language that Jesus spoke. Oh. My parents weren't married. And they were like, it means beloved. And they were like, this is our love child. Then they got married, and my brother's name is Billy. (laughs) 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 And my sister's name is Anne. Oh. So you're like the Tiki Tiki Tembo No So Rambo Chari Baruchi Pipi Pimbo of the family. Yeah. Okay. F-A-Q. F-A-Q NYC is supported by a grant from Civil, a blockchain company aiming to reshape the business of news, and by listeners like you. We recorded this week at the NYU McSilver Institute. That's NYU's McSilver Institute for Poverty Policy and and Research. And Research. FAQ is brought to you by executive producer Alex Brooklyn, Harry Siegel, and myself, Christina Greer. Uh, And we are mixed and produced this week by Adam Kamara. A special shout-out to Dodai Stewart of the New York Times for joining us. And remember, if you have to ask, tune in to the fact for some answers. Review us on iTunes and reach us on social media to discuss it all. Goodbye. I think that's great. It's just lovely. This was, I had all, this was not what was written down. I was just sort of ad-libbing while I'm looking at, like, Diane Savino and Allison Martin. All for one. I swear. Oh, my God. And the stars and the sky. sky. We will not. So really, really quick, because this relates to the public schools. I'm reading Dostoevsky, uh, the Brothers Karamazov, on the steps of Madison Square Garden. And the scalper just comes up to me. He's like, here, you fucking go. And he, like, throws tickets at me, right? He's like, I'm gone. It's going to start raining. I'm like, what? And so I end up with tickets to what is a show for, like, seventh graders, like girls, who have done well in their classes. It's like, here's a free. (laughs) No, I'm like. What year is this? I'm. Maybe 25, but I have no idea what this is. I don't know what all for one is. I'm just like, oh, there are tickets to a thing at the Garden now, and someone is throwing it at me. Clearly, I would go to this show. So I go in. You are a 25-year-old man. It's all like like 12-year-olds with the chaperones, right, Um, and and me. And all for one is there. And I'm I'm just like, this is too surreal. I had a great time. But the best part of it in the costumes is what made me think of it is they did a special (laughs) tribute to the Jackson 5. Oh, no. But there's four of them. And first they do, I forget, like like us, uh, Cool and the Gang. Um, and then the white guy, or I think he is, I haven't researched the group, is, for the Jackson 5, is dressed up as Elvis. Good day. And then, and, then, and then finally they do their big hit song, and they bring this, like, 12-year-old girl on stage, and the girl is like, I don't want to be on the stage, right? And you can see this, and the guy's singing and, like, doing his thing. He's like, girl, I've always loved you, you know? And the girl is pulling away, and he's holding her because this is, like, he's, like, nope. in the middle of his act. Nope. And her friends are like, ah! She's nope. like, no. And it was just one of the crazy. It would make a great movie, Sam. 
Um, it was it was sort of terrible. So that's that's, that's, that's Harry's elevator pitch.